And these names reflect his majesty, his power, his divinity, his authority, his love. But I want to draw our attention to an important designation found in the book of Isaiah. Now, sorrow being a universal human experience, in Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus is called a man of sorrows. This is a striking title. Jesus is never called a man of faithfulness. Jesus is never called a man of holiness or even a man of love. Right? While Jesus is faithful and he is holy and he is love, these things are true of him. Scripture particularly calls him a man of sorrows. And so this evening, as we gather together, we're going to reflect on Christ, the man of sorrows, and on the joyful sorrow of Good Friday. Now, important to note is that he is called a man of sorrows, with an S, plural sorrows. Jesus was not acquainted with only one type of sorrow, but of many. As the great Charles Spurgeon noted, he was a man not of sorrow only, but of sorrows. All the sufferings of the body and of the soul were known to him. Sorrows relative and sorrows personal, sorrows mental and sorrows spiritual, sorrows of all kinds and degrees assailed him. Affliction emptied his quiver upon him, making his heart the target for all conceivable woes. Jesus experienced all the sorrows common to human beings. And the first thing that we see in Isaiah 53 is that Christ experienced our mental and emotional sorrows. Verses 3 through 4. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, more often than not, the imagery used on Good Friday by churches or shared on social media, it tends to focus on the physical suffering of Christ, right? We see pictures of crowns of thorns or of nails or of bloodstained crosses and so on. I mean, the second half of Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ, is essentially just a 45-minute depiction of physical torture. And to be clear, Jesus suffered physically. We'll discuss, we'll discuss that shortly. But not enough is made of the fact that the incarnation of Jesus means that Jesus experienced all of the mental and emotional suffering that human beings suffer. It means he experienced grief and loss, right? At some point in his early years, his earthly father, Joseph, died, and he grieved. He also experienced and grieved the loss and death of his cousin, John. Jesus understood the stresses of living in poverty. Bible tells us that he and his disciples, they didn't always have enough food as they traveled. Jesus experienced rejection. Jesus remarked that, that a prophet isn't even accepted in his own hometown by his friends and family, that they rejected him. Jesus faced temptation. After fasting and praying for 40 days, Satan tempted Jesus three times. And moreover, the Bible even says Jesus, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus even experienced mockery and ridicule. Pharisees often taunted him as he taught. And as we see during his crucifixion, Roman soldiers mocked him openly. The Bible says, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! 
and they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Grief, stress, rejection, temptation, mockery. Jesus deeply understood and experienced the negative emotions that come with being human. And the clearest example of the mental and emotional trauma experienced by Christ happened after the Last Supper in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, it tells us that, and being in agony, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. The Bible uses the word agony to describe what Jesus was experiencing as he prayed. And how great was that agony? Well, so much so that he began sweating blood. The medical term for that is hematidrosis. Our sweat glands, they're surrounded by tiny blood vessels, and these vessels can burst, leading to the blood leaking into the sweat glands. And the primary cause of hematidrosis is emotional trauma and anguish. No wonder Jesus told his disciples in Gethsemane, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus experienced our mental and emotional sorrows. Any person who has ever experienced stress or grief or mental anguish or emotional pain, anyone, they can take comfort in knowing that Jesus too experienced such suffering. I want to share something with the congregation that I haven't shared broadly before. But for nearly three decades, I have struggled with clinical depression. I live an amazing life. I have an amazing life that I don't deserve. I have a loving wife and sweet children and a fulfilling job and friends that are closer than relatives and a faithful church that I have the great privilege of serving. And yet several seasons each year, there are times when these amazing things, they bring me no delight. And all I can see is darkness and, and seemingly infinite pit of sorrow and despair. From praying through the prayer requests that are submitted each weekend, I know that I am not alone in experiencing a struggle like this. Mental and emotional sorrow, they are reflections of this broken world that we live in. And the beautiful truth of Good Friday is that we serve and love a God that has experienced the same mental and emotional pain that we do, that knows our struggle deeply and in a real way, that left his throne in heaven to experience these same sorrows. Because in so doing, he would be able to encourage us and to redeem us perfectly from them. In his book, Spurgeon's Sorrows, which documents the great Charles Spurgeon's struggle with depression, author Zach Eswin wrote this, to feel in our being that the God to whom we cry has himself suffered as we do, enables us to feel that we are not alone and that God is not cruel. This God is like a near king in battle. He's not like those royal but distant ones who sit in the back eating in luxury while their soldiers suffer a cause for which they themselves would not lift a finger personally. On the contrary, this king leads from the front. He hungers when his people do. He thirsts when they thirst, and therefore when we see him fight and suffer among us, we begin to believe that we too can endure because he does. 
The Man of Sorrows reveals a larger story of God which possesses the capacity for realistic hope amid our proximity to despair. The Bible puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. One day all our pain, it goes away. Secondly, Christ experienced our physical sorrows. Verses 4 through 5. And surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. MS, bronchitis, bone spurs, migraines, broken bones, dementia, nerve pain, joint pain, pneumonia, and cancer. I pulled all of these physical ailments from last weekend's prayer request list. These are some of the very real physical issues that people in this congregation are currently dealing with. You and I, we do not need to be reminded that one of the sorrows that human beings face is that we have broken bodies, that our bodies are broken. Right? Our bodies will get hurt. They will get sick. They will break down. They will fail us. And one day our bodies will fail us completely and we will die. Physical sorrows are reflections of this broken world that we live in. And the incarnation of Jesus means that Jesus experienced all of the same physical suffering that human beings suffer. The divine Christ resided in a very human body that experienced the same physical limitations we face every single day. The Bible mentions that Jesus was hungry after fasting for 40 days. The Bible says he was thirsty, which is why he was at the Samaritan well. The Bible says that he grew tired, which was why he was sleeping at the bottom of the boat during a storm. The Bible doesn't give us any examples of Jesus catching a cold, but given that he experienced hunger, thirst, and exhaustion, well, why would we believe that he would have been spared even sickness? But it's the suffering that Jesus endured on Good Friday that most clearly speaks of his experience with physical sorrow. Isaiah 53's words give us a sense of that. Isaiah says he was pierced. The Bible tells us a Roman soldier ran a spear through Jesus' side, piercing both his lungs and heart. Isaiah says that he was crushed, which can also be translated beaten or bruised. The Bible says Roman soldiers beat him before the crucifixion. The ESV uses the word, the word wounds. By his wounds, we are healed. The Greek word for that used, word wounds can also be translated stripes. By his stripes we are healed. It indicates the type of wound Jesus suffered. The Bible tells us that Roman soldiers flogged or whipped him, leaving stripes across his body. Isaiah 53 paints a very clear and violent picture of the physical sorrows endured by Christ. I haven't even gotten to the pain of the crucifixion. A legitimate question you might ask is, well, what was the purpose of Jesus enduring such physical torture? I think there were three reasons. First, it was the fulfillment of prophecy. 
Isaiah's words were written some 700 plus years before Good Friday. And so the events of Good Friday speak to God carrying out his predetermined sovereign plan to pierce and crush the man of sorrows for our sin. Second, it's a physical symbol of the pain of sin. Sin's an offense to God. It hurts God to see us in sin. It hurts us spiritually to be in sin. And so the events of Good Friday provide a physical representation of the violent ugliness of sin. But thirdly, I actually think the reason Jesus endures this is that the painful truth of Good Friday is that we serve and love a God that has experienced the same curse of sin that we face. His body hurt. His body broke down. His body failed him. And eventually his body failed him completely to the point of death. And if such a broken failure of a body can rise three days later in glory, that provides us the hope that ours too will one day overcome its brokenness. MS, migraines, nerve pain, cancer, all our physical sorrows, they're temporary. And one day we will be redeemed. 1 Corinthians gives us a glimpse of this. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. What is sown is in dishonor, it is raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. One day, all this pain, it goes away. Our mental and emotional sorrow, our physical sorrow, and thirdly, Christ experienced our spiritual sorrow. Isaiah 53 continues, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. There are 12 verses in Isaiah 53, and half of them speak to this third type of sorrow experienced by Christ, spiritual sorrow. In these dozen verses, transgressions or transgressors mentioned four times. Iniquity mentioned three times. In verse 6, it says we have gone astray, we've turned, we've turned away from God, sin. Verse 10 uses the word guilt. Verse 12 uses the word sin. My beloved, it is impossible it's impossible to read Isaiah 53 and not understand that all of our sorrows and all of the sorrows experienced by Christ, they're the direct result of sin. Either ours or someone else's, it is because of sin. This is an important point in understanding the gospel, right? That God created us in perfection and holiness to be in relationship with him, but that sin severed that relationship. And the consequence of that sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, spiritual sorrow. Now, where we have all experienced mental and emotional sorrow, and we have all experienced, we have not yet experienced the fullness of spiritual sorrow. We've not yet experienced that. Yes, many of us have experienced the direct consequence and impact of sin in our lives, no question but we have not experienced the fullness of sin's consequences because it does not materialize until the end. 
Apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, the end result of sin is death and hell. Physical death and separation from the God who loves us, hell. And it is this fullness of sin's consequences that Jesus Christ experienced on the cross. Make no mistake, as horrible as the emotional, mental, and physical sorrows experienced by Christ were, and they were as awful as any borne by any human being, the most horrible sorrow for Christ to have experienced was the spiritual sorrow. If you go through the Gospels, do you know how Jesus referred to God? Jesus referred to God as Father. The Father and I are one. The Father sent his Son, our Father who art in heaven. If you knew me, you would know my Father also, and so on. Jesus repeatedly and routinely referred to God as Father, except one time. Except one time. One time Jesus called God, God. Do you know when that was? The Bible says on the cross, Jesus, talking to God, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Speaking directly to his Father, and instead of calling him Father, Jesus called him God. And the reason for that change in how Jesus addressed his own Father was because Jesus experienced the fullness of spiritual sorrow and the consequence of sin, separation from his Father. His direct and completely intimate relationship with the one who loved him most and the one he loved most was gone. That's the full consequence of sin. Now at this point you might be asking, well, this all seems pretty bleak. Not sure where there is any joy in Good Friday. And if we focus only on the sorrows in Isaiah 53, that would be true. But Isaiah 53 gives us a glimpse into the why of the cross. It says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. And here it is, beloved. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many be accounted righteous. Isaiah 53 notes that because of the sorrows endured by the man of sorrows, several amazing things happen and come about. First, he will see his offspring. That is, God will see his children. God's relationship with his people will be restored. Second, it says, he shall prolong his days. That is, no longer are our days numbered by death. No, they are rather prolonged by eternal life. And then thirdly, it says that because of Christ's righteousness, he will make many to be accounted righteous. That is, you and I, we will be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In God's eyes, we will be square with him. The Bible says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Beloved, that's where there is joy. You see, sorrows in and of themselves, they're not completely awful. Our sorrows are only awful when they're meaningless. Our sorrows are awful when they have no purpose. Our sorrows are awful 
when they had no chance of ever being redeemed. It is why the atheist perspective on life makes no sense. Because if this life is all that we have, then all our sorrows are meaningless, purposeless, and irredeemable. But the joyful truth of Good Friday is that we serve and love a God who took on the title of Man of Sorrows with the explicit goal of bringing meaning, purpose, and redemption to all of our greatest sorrows. Through the atoning death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, all who place their faith in him will never, 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 ever experience the fullness of spiritual sorrow. Never. We'll never see eternal death. Instead, we will be reconciled to the Father who loves us and we'll be with him forever and ever and ever. Joy. And it is this joyous future that sustains Jesus through all that suffering. The Bible says, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That is Jesus. He saw this joy. He saw that he needed to suffer to reach that joy. But he saw how much greater that joy was than the suffering. And he endorsed the cross. And in so de doing, Jesus transforms sorrow into joyful sorrow. Sometimes the road to utter joy runs through suffering. John Piper put it this way, there are some joys that are only possible on the other side of sorrow. In his book, Not God Enough, Pastor J.D. Greer, he spoke of the Christian perspective on joy amidst suffering, and he said this, there was an ancient tribe in Japan, renowned for its pottery. After creating magnificent, beautifully painted vessels, they would smash them against a rock. And then they would fasten the hundreds of pieces back together with melted gold sealing the seams. And the restored pottery was infinitely more valuable than it was before it had been broken. God is doing the same thing with us. He allows life to smash us sometimes so that he can fill the broken places in our lives with himself. And one day our union with Christ will be our greatest source of joy. I'm sure many of you were like me this week, like many across the globe who were horrified and saddened by the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral. And there were so many devastating pictures coming out of that tragedy, but one amazing one. This is a picture of the main cross and altar in the sanctuary at Notre Dame, still standing bright and true amidst charred rubble. And it is a visual reminder that no matter the sorrows that you are currently facing, no matter how aflame your lives may be, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, no matter that, the victory at Calvary's cross stands bright and true. We do not remember Good Friday in somber shadow, no, we remember Good Friday in glorious light, recognizing that on the other side of the sorrow of the cross is the joy of eternity. The Bible says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Joy. Sorrow and joy, joy and sorrow, these are the two perspectives that we ought to bring with us as we come now to the Lord's table. At the Lord's table, we reflect on the sorrow that Christ undertook on the cross, symbolized by the bread and the cup. Jesus refers to the broken bread and says, this, this is my body, which is for you. This bread is a symbol meant to remind us that the pain and death and separation from God endured by Jesus on Good Friday were meant for us, but born by him. 
Jesus refers to the cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Cup of juice is a symbol meant to remind us that the blood spilled by Christ was also spilled in our place. Sorrow. And yet at the Lord's table, we, we also reflect on the joy of the cross, also symbolized by bread and cup. The bread reminds us that when we partake of it, we acknowledge that what gives us life, it's not bread, but Christ. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the cup of juice reminds us that the shed blood of Jesus Christ is what reconciled us to God, restored a relationship that had been broken by sin. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Bread and cup, broken body and shed blood. When we partake of communion, we are proclaiming the atoning death of Jesus Christ for sin. We are proclaiming that by his wounds, we are healed. Joy. As we head to communion, I want to read some lyrics from the modern hymn, Man of Sorrows. The first two verses speak of the, the sorrow of Good Friday. It goes, Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silent as he stood accused, beaten, mocked, and scorned. Bowing to the Father's will, he took a crown of thorns. But then the bridge in last verse goes, Now my debt is paid, it's paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin has no hold on me, because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. See, the stone is rolled away. Behold, the empty tomb. Hallelujah, God be praised. He's risen from the grave. Tonight, as individual families and as a community of brothers and sisters in Christ, we will take communion. But we'll do so a little bit differently than we normally do. The pastors and elders are going to serve communion as they do each month, but instead of holding on to it and taking it all together, we're going to take them time as individuals and as families to take it on our own as we reflect on the joyful sorrow of Good Friday. Take the elements as they pass by and then hold on to them. And I would ask you to spend some time in meditation. Read and reflect on the verses of Man of Sorrows as the praise team sings. Read and reflect on the beautiful truths of Isaiah 53. We're going to sing three songs so you have plenty of time to sit and reflect. And when you are ready, partake of communion on your own. If you're here and you're not a Christian, Think deeply, deeply, I would beg you to think deeply about the words of Isaiah 53 and about Jesus Christ who took your sorrows. Reflect on that, seek him. Communion is reserved for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but if you're ready to do that tonight, to commit your heart to Christ, then partake of communion with the full knowledge of what awaits you in eternity. Final point, the true, of the true joy of Good Friday, it's not about Friday, it's about Easter Sunday. You see, Good Friday leads to Easter and the resurrection of Christ, and it's the resurrection, his triumph over death that brings about the completion of this story. It's the resurrection of Christ that, that changes everything. The Bible says, weeping may endure for a night. Oh, but joy cometh in the morning. Beloved, Good Friday's night of sorrow, oh, it shall pass, and it will be lit up by the joyful morning of Easter. Let us worship tonight let us worship the Lord in the joyful sorrow of Good Friday. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Good Friday. Thank you for Jesus, our great man of sorrows. Thank you that you loved us so deeply and so fully that you sent Jesus to be born like us, 
live like us, suffer like us, all to encourage and redeem our sorrows. Thank you for pouring out your wrath against sin on the Lord Jesus Christ instead of on us. Thank you that by his wounds we are healed. We are given new life, reconciled to you, with you forever and ever. Lord, as we come to the Lord's table, may we see the bread and cup and be reminded of your broken body and shed blood, which were not given to us in vain. May we partake of communion with a deep understanding of our sin and the price of atonement. May we reflect on the cross, the empty tomb, and the promise of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the joy of the resurrection. In the name of Christ, our risen King. Amen.